Welcome to Mindset for Medical Moms. I'm your host, Courtney Given, fellow medical mom and life coach. I'm here to help you handle everything from doctor's appointments to surgery so you can feel confidence and peace as you navigate the ups and downs of medical motherhood. This podcast will share strategies and real life tools to strengthen your mindset and increase your emotional resilience. I'm so glad you're here. Let's go. Hello, beautiful medical moms. I am so excited to be joined here today with Serene Noor Ali. She is a co-founder of Sleuth, which is a medical search engine for medical moms. And I am so thrilled to be able to have her share all of her insights. And Serene, can you uh, introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more about yeah. what Sleuth is and what you do. Yeah, I would love to. Thanks for having me. Um, so Sleuth is a better WebMD for children's health. And it comes from my experience um, as a mom, as a mom to a typically, typically growing older child and a younger child that has um, pretty significant medical needs in comparison. Um, it's a platform for anyone who loves their family and wants to help when they see a symptom. Um, and so what we do on the front end is we give parents tools to share, um, research, understand, and track their child's health. Um, and we try to help parents in that really early stage of like, what is going on? What is this? Who do I see? Where do I go to for support? Um, which is not medical needs moms at that point, right? There's a point at which medical needs moms just know it. So it's for right now, most likely this very particular point in their journey. But on the back end, what we're building is the most robust children's health database that exists. And it's built by parents. And I think that's the part that's really relevant to medical needs moms. Um, because we are at this it's a, it's a tool for every parent. And I, and I, it's really important for me to be really clear because I know that the medical needs mom's experience is very different than kind of normative parenting. Um, and I'm happy to go into that a little bit, but there is a part when you're medical needs moms that it's more art than science, right? Where you know more than your providers. <laughs> I love because it's so sad, but true. Um, and I think that's the part that we can really help on people understand who our children are, who our medical needs children are. Because unfortunately, we live in a world where it feels like children with more deeper medical needs are not treated the same as children who are typically developing. Yeah. And I think for from my experience, my daughter has a heart defect and... Um, we're constantly weighing all of her decision, like around her care, especially when she becomes sick. We're thinking, is this a heart thing or is this a normal kid thing? Is this a heart yeah. thing or is this a normal yeah. kid? Constantly we're like, and then even if it's like a normal kid thing, we're like, where is our threshold for, you know, we kind of have her baseline. And then as she's sick, that kind of can change. So we're like, where is it in this area? Can we hold down the fort on our own or do we need to like start talking to a provider 
And I just love the idea of having another tool to add to. Yeah. I I have a phrase I, I teach my clients that are, it's like your scope of practice, essentially as a medical needs parent, you have certain things in your scope and it's not like a defined scope in the sense that like you can only are allowed to do this, but being able to add more things in you into your toolbox to be able to reference. Yeah. Super. That's exactly what, that's exactly where we, we want to be. And we're early stage, but I've been, we've been digging into this problem for multiple years and I dig into it from my personal experience and we dig into it from the professional experience. My co-founder is a data scientist. And so I had quit my job in 2018 to take, to figure out what's happening with my daughter. We didn't have a diagnosis. We just knew that things were a little off. And then I got things on track in terms of like getting her therapies and setting everything up. And I was ready to go back to my career, but instead of going back to my career, I ended up joining a startup generator program. And I, um, I did not mean to start a company. I just knew that there was a problem. I know it's very funny as I'm very tired. <laughs> and, but I knew that there was this problem and I presented this problem to who's now my co-founder, Alex. And he's like, I can't believe all these parents are getting this invaluable information from each other. It's, it was, it was interesting to see him shocked because people like you and me have been in these groups and communities and data exchanges for a long time. But what I'm excited about what we're trying to do is make it a data first community so that you have the information at your fingertips. You don't have to wonder if the person who's posting that information is like you and in the way that you look for like rational data and science, right? That you don't have to spend until 3 a.m. on the website. And so I'm excited about what we can surface for all children's conditions in that. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit more about how Sleuth differs in terms of other medical websites? Because yeah. And like, and to see it as a difference in because like I think the number one thing that in my community I see a newly diagnosed mom don't google it that's what everyone says don't google it. <laughs> don't go down the rabbit hole because it's just exhausting and it would be nice though to have trusted places to be able to do research without feeling like doom and gloom and just get data just get some things to understand an appointment better or discussion points exactly that's exactly what it is and we're premised on the fact that caregiver data specifically is really useful here and we crowdsource information from parents themselves so uh, the app that we just launched has 50,000 children's health stories so what you're seeing are the symptoms in the eyes of the parents. What were the first set of symptoms they saw for ADHD, for example? Did those symptoms get better and by what percent? Um, what treatments worked and by what percent, right? So you're hearing from another parent who's been on that journey. And what I think we, you and I know that maybe our investors didn't know at first was that caregiver data is an, is an entirely untapped, useful set of information to understand health conditions. We think about EMRs, but like 
EMRs suck. Like they've gotten my daughter's diagnosis wrong multiple times on paper. And I'm like, that's not my kid. Like I know it here in my head. And so when we've done our testing with Sleuth, people look at it and they're like, oh my God, I can track my kid's health. And I was like, that's exactly what we hope you do. Yeah. My, my background is in conflict resolution and I started feeling like, okay, this is the problem that I'm facing in terms of being able to feel confident enough and able to have the conversations with a doctor to be able to navigate this emotionally and mentally. And I remember just feeling so helpless because I didn't feel like there were many tools at my disposal. Um, And I think what you're describing, that sense of being able to reference things and understand and then have the confidence to know what you're talking about is the difference between consistently feeling helpless and kind of floundering in medical motherhood and doing very hard things, but with a more empowered point of view. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And it can just make all the difference in your experience of the same very hard circumstance. Totally. It's, it's almost like, I like when you're saying like a a tool that people can use, because that's, I always have this vision of someone pulling out their phone and referencing sleuth when they're in front of doctors. Um, And interestingly, uh, someone that we tested who the pediatrician said the same thing, because I think we all know that it's hard when you're, it's hard for a lot of reasons in the patient physician interaction. And one of the reasons I, I think that's specific to medical needs moms is that you're constantly triggered, right? It's like, no matter how hard you try, if you're seeing that doctor, that was the one that gave you a diagnosis X amount of years ago, there's only so much therapy that's going to help, right? It, it, like it happened this week for me. I I took my daughter to the doctor that first initially tipped us off about for a longer diagnosis. And I was like, wow, it's still there. You know, like I need to write this down. I need my voice note. I need to be able to do the best I can, like perform the best I can in a doctor's appointment. And like, what are the tools that help you do your job well while your emotional, your nervous system is doing something else? Yes, exactly. Um, what is your long-term vision for Sleuth? What do you see the impact it could create in, you know, families, in medical communities? What is that long-term vision? There's like multi-layers. Um, I think the, the biggest one is we do want to be the better WebMD for children's health. I want people to come to Sleuth before they go to Google. Um, I want it to be the tool that people use like Strava, for example, you know, like adults have all these ways to measure their health, but we're not measuring our kids. Um, And I want people to be the place where they're not alone when they're struggling, right? That kind of emotional vision. But the deep scientific vision from my point of view, and I'm not the scientist out of me and Alex, but I I believe this very strongly, is that I think we're going to find insights about kids' health that don't exist yet right? If we end up being generative in what we can offer to the medical field, I will consider Sleuth a major win, right? If we can give information to medical supply companies, for example, and say, you know what, 
X percent of people say their trach isn't fitting or X percent of people are saying their G-tube isn't fitting or your medication sucks. Like that is where I feel like my life's mission will have been met, which is to really just produce more information about um, children that is so hard to access. Yes, I love that. Um, I love that you were able to recognize that problem that existed and be able to turn it into something that can impact so many people. Um, when we first, when I first contacted you to come on the podcast, you mentioned that you were passionate about a child-centered society. What does that mean to you? I think I'm not bold enough yet to really know what that vision is. I can tell you what it's not. I can tell you it is not having our children encounter violence. I can tell you it's not having our children have systems that are not designed for them. And I mean, like every system, right? Like my kids sometimes are like, well, why is there not a stool in the airport bathrooms? And then they go to an airport that has like a stool and they're like, oh, see, like everywhere should be like this. And I was like, you're right. Everywhere should be like this. I, you know, you look at different societies outside of the U.S. and the design, the literal design is different, right? And I just want things that consider the fact that you are a child from zero to 18 to be the way that we actually design society so that we're not obsessed with just achievement, but we're saying, who are you right now in this moment? Oh, little one, you know? And I think it's a vision I'm still playing with, but I, I feel so deeply that this was not, we're not, we're not building for kids. Yeah. I can even see that at the, at the impact of, medical motherhood and being in the heart community, there is a really big, um, what's the word? Disconnect when it comes to 18 year olds trying to move into adult care for cardiology, because for so long, children were basically given surgery to survive, not thrive. And now as quality of life have improved, there's a whole population that is like, Hey, I'm still living. I was a child for so long and people kind of ignored me, but now yeah. I'm an adult with still that has a heart defect. Where do I go? And I think I just, when I was reading more about Sleuth and thinking about the child centered part of it, the impact that data could have in terms of showing doctors more insights about these kids, helping expand more knowledge to doctors who quite frankly, sometimes don't even understand that these surgeries exist. I've talked to doctors, mm -hmm. pediatricians who are like, wait, what's the surgery that your daughter has? Like, how is she still alive? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, here's your little, yeah. you know, lecture on what's still going on, but it can make a huge difference in so many areas. It's like crazy, right? Because like pediatricians are supposed to take care of a body that changes how many times in zero, from zero to 18? Like how many changes does that go through? I always laugh because sometimes we'd have investors because we're a very technology heavy company. So we had to get investors to get off the ground. And I'm like, it's not a big enough market. And I'm like, there are so many bodily changes from like zero to 18 months. And I'm talking about zero to 18 years, you know? And so the medical system, like you said, like it's, it's absurd. It's not surprising to me that a pediatrician doesn't know about it because the wealth, like we think of kids as being easy, but even for the 
typically developing child, what we're seeing is that so many more of them are having anxiety. How do we understand that on their on their terms? How do we recognize it? How do we see that in their day to day? And I used to get really mad when we called kids resilient. And I'm like, it felt like erasure. Sometimes when people in the media would say it like, oh, but kids are so resilient because it felt like what they were saying is kids are so resilient, you can do anything. And I think the second half of that sentence is actually kids are so resilient when they get the right support. Mm. Um, and I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't, I think we just don't see them on their terms a lot of times I really as, like a system, as yeah. parents do, but maybe not as systems. That's so interesting because I've never really considered the word resilient in that way. And I can definitely see that because I feel like I've had to build a lot of resilience as a medical mom, like get tougher skin going through all of these experiences. But when my daughter was really young in the hospital a lot, the doctors would say that the nurses would say that a lot, like just casually, like it's okay. Kids are so resilient. And it is kind of flippant. It is kind of like, well, they'll get through it. Who cares? But I mean, my daughter has um, anxiety. She home from the hospital, right? And like, yes, hopefully she'll, you know, be fine, like at her own benchmark. Um, but she would not be fine if she wasn't in therapy for medical anxiety. You know, it's like, so when I was in the hospital and people said that to me, I didn't know that a year and a half later, I'd be paying out of my nose to get medical trauma therapy for her. That's not the way that sentence tells you life is going to be. Totally. You know, and, and I guess in that moment, maybe that's what you need. I don't know. Maybe in the moment I didn't want to know she was going to have medical trauma. Although it was fairly obvious, but. <laughs> well, I, I think. No, I think that's a good point because I think that resiliency is not just something that happens on its own. I think there definitely has to be some other support factors in it, right? Like, mm -hmm. are you making sure that, because isolated, if it's just all these hard things that our kids are going through and it's just an isolated experience without understanding, without support, without any of the other things available to us. And then resiliency can turn into something really negative and really harmful mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. it's your body just enduring what it has to endure to keep living versus being it's like a trauma to... response. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. So, yeah. yeah, that's so true. That's so true. It's, it's so true. It's like almost like you're equating sort just the ability to survive with resilience. And actually it's just that you had to survive. Yes. No. And that's tough. Yeah. And I think that's where it comes back to a support system, essentially. Mm -hmm. um, I think that one of the first things I realized as a medical mom is like, oh, all the things that I told myself that I would do later have all of a sudden become super important to me. Like my priorities lined up really quickly. And then I realized I have to take care of myself through the process as well. Um, because if I'm not getting any kind of like adequate help for myself, then I fall apart too. And it's really difficult to advocate and be present in a hospital setting 
when I'm completely drained and not taken care of. And sometimes I think that we kind of disregard the basics like sleep, water, you know, things like that, that are just going to be your baseline. Um, that's a whole other thing, but then being able to add in different resources in terms of helping you build support, helping you make resiliency, not a negative, harmful thing, but actually something that helps you move through difficult circumstances. What, what does your support system look like and how has that changed as you have progressed with different things that you've gone through with your daughter what does a support system like that look like for you? I think for me, I mean, we have a very tight family unit. Um, so it's kind of a pretty tight closed loop between us in terms of like emotions and support. So I think that's huge. And what we did after she, you know, she was still medically complex when she left the hospital. Um, we spent a lot of time at home hanging out with each other and like, almost just healing together in a safe space. And I still don't think I fully appreciate how transformative that will be for, that was for us and that will be for us. I think the second thing is sleuth is kind of my response to all of it. It would not, this was like a healing response. Um, I think it's hard. I will say like today is a hard day for us at the company. It's just, it's, I didn't know how hard this would be like building a company. Um, Truly, I had not a clue, but most days I am really grateful to be doing what I'm doing because it is my way of trying to make something a little bit better. And that's usually enough. I think the hard thing for me is like many medical needs moms, I don't like asking for help and I had to learn how to ask for help. And that's been an ongoing process. And on one hand, I couldn't ask for help. And on the other, I felt really betrayed that like people didn't understand how hard my life was. Um, And because I tend to be on Instagram a lot and, you know, like, I don't think, I don't want to reveal how hard it is. I don't know if you feel the, the same way. Like it's a pride issue. It's like a protection issue towards my child. It's a pride issue. I would rather people see that it's like, that I'm doing it fine. Like I get a B plus, you know, than having people know that, you know, sometimes at night I cry myself to sleep, you know, like that kind of stuff. I think and I don't know. I don't know if it's a pride thing. I think it it it's very it's really vulnerable because I think when you ask for help, you open yourself up to rejection, first of all, but also you might not even get the help that you actually need. And sometimes we can't even verbalize what we need. Like it's so difficult because I remember asking a friend, hey, my husband was gone. I was like, I didn't even know what I was feeling. I don't know if it was loneliness. I don't know if it was just overwhelm, but I just texted her to come to the hospital. And when she was there, I got overwhelmed with her being there. And I was just like, I didn't even want to talk. I just wanted someone around. And like, (laughs) I didn't know if that was fair. It's totally fine. But 
she was like, I'm happy to just sit here. I'm happy to watch your daughter while you eat, like whatever. I think we ended up sitting next to each other and texting or like we were on our phones. We had lunch and she left, but it was super helpful. Don't know why, don't know what it was, but sometimes it But it's almost like you needed to be witnessed in some way. Yes. Like that was literally your friend witnessing you. Yeah. And I think that's what, where it can get tricky with help, just being able to communicate what your needs are, ask the right people, because sometimes people will offer help and it's just not the kind of help you need. It's not the right help or people don't get it. At the end of the day, 99% of people won't get what you're going through. And I think that's mm-hmm. also, it makes us disconnected because I'm like, you don't get it. Why should I even talk to you? Why should I open up? Why should I tell you? And I always ask myself the questions that come up in my brain. Yeah. I'm like, my clients know that I have a rule. If we ask a question, we answer it for ourselves. And so when it comes to that, I'm like, okay, why would I ask this person for help? Or why wouldn't I? Do I like my reasons? And then if I do, then I just try to stick with that. And it's actually helped me ask for help more often because at least I'm trying to, I'm I'm trusting my own judgment in terms of who I'm talking to. But when when you are on public platforms, it can be really Mm -hmm. difficult to share in real time. It was another thing that I think I stopped doing in the beginning. I was kind of just throwing out our story because I was like, I want my daughter to be real. And if more people knew her story, then it felt more real. But then I realized it can be almost more harmful sometimes if you aren't careful with what you're putting out there. And so, like you said, I think it is a protection mechanism in terms of not always wanting to put yourself out there, not always wanting to be that vulnerable. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I think this is like, I think people have in their life, just like these things that feel almost irreconcilable. And for me, this topic is almost irreconcilable um, because like what you see is what you get, like how I'm presenting to you is very much who I am in real life. Um, but there are situations where I have to present another side of me and I'll give you an example. When we raise money, I have learned not to tell people my story too much about my daughter because some people can't disassociate the fact that I am a caregiver and I could be good at business. People can't hold both things at one time, especially because I'm a woman and I'm a minority. And that sucks. And so instead, what I have to show is some version of the lady boss version of me. And I'm, look, I, I'm, I'm confident I have, but I'm not a lady boss. I don't, it doesn't appeal to me. Yeah. It's not, it's just not a tight, a stereotype, but that is a type that I think appeals to in certain contexts in business. And I was actually talking to a couple of other female founders yesterday and I was so relieved that they felt the same pressure of like appearing like a lady boss for like PR. Um, But what was a little disheartening is that it's effective, right? So here I am, this like medical needs mom I have a platform that's for like all parents and I'm a founder of a company that's like raising money, mostly from people who don't 
have experience being with primary caregivers of their children, right? Much less if their child has a condition. And like all these versions of who I feel like we're required to be, I just can't sit. It, it's never going to be reconciled for me. And I think I just have to accept. I have to accept that. I think the thing that I, I would, I, I tell myself a couple of things to get by. One, I have trust amongst parents, right? Like I think people can see that I am, I want to do this genuinely. And I don't think that there's a, I don't believe in the fact that you can't make money and have impact at the same time. Like I, I really am strongly rooted in business and, and that. So I believe you can do both. And two, I realize that everyone is hiding something. Everyone is, everyone feels invisible in some part of their life. And I don't know why, but that makes me feel less alone as a medical needs mom. Yeah, I think maybe this is even deeper than I anticipated, but I think that's like the toxic part of capitalism and commerce, right? Like not being a person, not being seen as a person. And even more so when you're a woman, even more so as a minority. And I think even when you're labeling yourself as a caregiver, there is a I don't know. It's not infilization, but you become not a person that you, is... you become just a caregiver. Yeah. And that's why I feel so strongly about us collecting data from caregivers, because there's a part of me, I have a bone to pick. I guarantee that you know more about your daughter's health condition than someone who's, you know, new to it in there as an expert. Like, and you get a hundred of you collectively, you know that condition, right? And I think that part of this is a response to being like, how much can you put people down when they actually know this condition and symptoms more than others, right? Because caregivers are not, caregiving is the hardest job. I don't care what anyone says, caregiving is the hardest job. So hard. And it is yeah, disregarded lived experience of caregiving is so far greater. And sometimes it it surprises me in hospital settings or in a doctor's office, the doctors at first, in the very beginning, when they asked me for my opinion, it was not what I expected. They were like, I remember specifically one doctor had told me like, oh, well, you know her best. How has she been doing today? And I had not been talked to so directly in that way, giving me that authority, um, especially because prior to that, I just, my understanding of what doctors did, especially in a hospital um, under like intensive care felt, I just thought doctors knew everything. Doctors were never wrong, <laughs> right? I just, yeah. I gave them yeah. all the authority that I was taught to as a child. And so then coming as an apparent and them seeing me as an authority totally shifted my paradigm. And then when I started interacting with doctors who disregarded my opinion, I was like, oh, wait, you don't get this situation at all. <laughs> like no, my right. experiences is far greater than the paragraph you've read about my yeah. position. Yeah. Yeah. And the more I learn about it too, the, the doctors that are really strong providers really want your opinion. 
And I think that's shocking. That was shocking to me because I'm like, oh, I have a decision-making role here. Um, and maybe that's more akin to like experiences when your child actually has a medical condition. Like you and I know that. Um, but in the very beginning, when your child goes to well visits and, you know, just checking, I think you don't know that you're a decision maker, actually. Yeah, that brings me to another question. What are your beliefs and thoughts that you hone in on in terms of advocacy? Because I think that is a switch in an identity we have to make. When your child gets a diagnosis that is far greater than anything you expected, that is taking you out of your house often to different therapies, different appointments, you're interacting with so many different providers and you are a decision maker. And oftentimes we haven't even considered ourselves as that decision maker. So what do you mm -hmm. want to tell other moms who maybe have a hard time identifying as an advocate or as a decision maker or fully seeing that role? Like how, how have you moved into that space? I think it comes from knowing I've been through the hardest thing I've ever had to go through in life. And that always gives me the confidence to ask questions. Like I grew up the same way. It's like, oh, you, you don't say anything to doctors. And now I'm like, oh, I'll say anything. Like just watch, right? You know, so I know that the entire arsenal is in me. And I think that arsenal keeps growing. And I think to anyone that might be new to it is like, your role is so vitally important. Like, don't discount yourself. Like, what would you tell a friend in that situation? Um, because you can do a lot. And also, it's okay to take a break. It's okay to, like, decide if, you know, five therapies for your child a week is too much. It's, it's okay to consider going to four. Like, you're allowed. You're allowed to also not be the productive caregiver 24 seven if you can yeah I think especially as women we get messaging a lot about if if women are the caregivers we also get mm -hmm. messaging about trying to do it all right it's like adding more to our plate and so when you have a medically complex child you feel behind than maybe your peers and I remember being in the hospital and thinking like, oh, I can't do anything else except this. And, or reconciling like your life after diagnosis, even if you're in a stable place, like it just shifts so much. Um, but I'm really glad you said that because it's so true. You have to be willing to reevaluate your needs. And my go-to question in terms of um, checking in with myself is how do we all get our needs met? Right. Like in our family, yeah. it's not just, I mean, obviously I'll do, we'll do anything for our children, but I'm like, it's not just about her. It's about everyone involved. How can we all get our needs met and including all of the health things? Um, yeah, I love that, that you said that even the switch from four to five, it can make a huge difference. Yeah, 
I mean, I'm witnessing a caregiving situation right now. Um, and I notice things that I wouldn't have noticed if it were me being the primary caregiver, which is that the relationships and dynamics between people, we don't often think about how that might be affecting our quality of life as a caregiver, right? Like, let's say you're in a situation where there's just a lot of people taking care of the one person and trying to triage, like, well, what if you don't respond? What if you know, everyone knows that you turn off your phone at 11 and you check it again at 6 a.m.? Does that affect, like really ask yourself, does that affect the care of this person? Right, and I, and I think, I remember when my daughter was in the hospital, there was just a lot of hyped up texts because you're so stressed, right? Like I would text, I lived with her and I would text my husband like updates because um, we were split. We were, we were in New Jersey and they were in New York City where we live, um, he and my other daughter. And I think at some point I realized, you know what? I can send this text tomorrow because it's not urgent. Like maybe this will let us both sleep better. Right, like not everything in a caregiving situation, not not every single moment is a red fire alarm, even though it feels like it in your body. Totally. I remember having to be, get really clear about what I wanted our hospital experience to be like because it just took so much out of me physically and mentally. Um, it's almost been two years now, but my daughter's last open heart surgery I had just decided I wouldn't do any real-time updates because I wanted to be able to process the information first and that I wouldn't respond to well-wished texts, like thinking of you, good luck, all of those. I just told everyone, like, text me. I'm so grateful for you. I'm not going to be responding until I have the bandwidth to do so. Like, I'm not putting anyone else's needs before my own because when I can focus on myself and understand like I only have so much energy and focus and 99% of that is going to go to getting through the day talking to 10 different people coming in and out of the room managing my child's emotions and ex expectations for the day like all of that is yeah amazing. and giving totally. my permission was it felt so rebellious that's what it felt like yeah and it comes from experience, right? Like you could give yourself permission to do that because you've been through it before. And I, I think I've, I've been thinking a lot about people who are new to caregiving because maybe their family member is acutely ill all of a sudden. That first experience is really hard, right? It sits with you. It defines you. You have no idea how to do anything that you're talking about like that. And I wish... You know, like I almost think as like medical needs moms, we could really help in conversation with those people. Like the, what I was telling you, I was witnessing. I'm like, if it was my first time doing that or second time, I don't think I would want to hear that kind of advice because it feels too hard, right? It's like someone I love is sitting in the hospital and I people might be like, oh, well, you think that, don't you understand? I just love that person so much. And I was like, I totally understand that. And that's why I'm saying this care for yourself. This is a marathon, you know? Um, and I think we as medical needs moms just uniquely understand the, the prolonged caregiving experience, no matter who the patient is, like what age the patient is. Because, you know, 
experience. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think that going back to what you said about Sleuth, I think that really can make the difference in terms of the support it can offer. Because when I was like, how do I survive this? I was functioning. I was fine. How do I get through this and recalibrate my future and my thoughts about myself in a different position, in a different role, about my daughter, all of these things? And I was familiar with coaching and I was like, none of them have ever been through what I've been through. I'm sure they are very good coaches. I'm sure they are very good people and know their craft and know their art. And I still wanted someone who knew what it was like to go through my lived experience. Not even the same exact one because nothing is the same in medical motherhood, but to someone who knows what it's like to be in the hospital for multiple days on end to converse with all the specialists, do all the things, has a different understanding. And I think being able to pull from that data, pull from that expertise and lived experience helps you build trust with the platform. That's why Google <laughs> is so wrong totally. because it's like you get the worst experiences and you get outdated research. That's what you get online. Yeah. And you don't get any daily living tips, which is what we're doing most of the time. Yeah. You know, like we're at home, you know, like trying to figure out how to, how to do the best with, with what everything is. Um, and Google is all like, you get the worst answers, like the worst, the worst, most devastating answers. And it doesn't help you be a proactive caregiver. It just tells you medical information. Exactly. Totally. Well, I am so grateful for this conversation. I feel so inspired by your advocacy and I'm so excited to see what Sleuth does. Is there anything else that you would like to share about Sleuth? Yeah, I would love, I mean, if, if this conversation inspires anyone, please message me. Um, we are very much in an intense building phase. So your feedback about what we could do to make it more useful to this community um, or to your family, I would be very, very, very open to. Um, so just DM me on Instagram. It's at Sari Norelli. Um, download our app if you're aware in testing phase uh, right now. So all the feedback we're getting, then we'll actually do like a formal launch. Um, so reach out to me, particularly if you're in New York. And uh, thank you for this. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm so, so happy. Um, I will link all of your social media in the podcast show notes. And I just want to thank you again. All right. Bye-bye, everybody. The episode is over, but there's so much more you can get from our Facebook group. Come to the Mindset for Medical Moms Facebook group community at the link in the show notes and discuss all the things about the podcast. Also, you can get coached for free. Come and ask me questions and connect with fellow medical moms. I hope to see you there. Thank you so much. Thank you.